You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. What up? This is Raphael with NBA Draft Junkies. I'm doing something a little different today. And in this episode, you know what? I'll be honest. I was kind of struggling with coming up with a topic you know, with the Locked On NBA Draft Network, we have shows four days a week, and sometimes the topics can be redundant. And also, we have at least, I don't know, 70 or 80 days until the draft time. I kind of stole this idea a little bit from um, one of the co-hosts on Locked On NBA Draft. So I opened up for my followers on Twitter to ask me questions. So this is like my first time doing a, a mailbag I'm curious to see some of the questions. I guess I'm going to read some of them live. I know like when people sent me questions, I, I, once I read it was a question, I just kind of saved it. So I'm trying to read them live. And if, if I get some like really ridiculous questions, forgive me if my facial expressions or my reaction is a little bit off, but let's go. Let's get started. All right. The first question is, who should the Knicks take? with their two picks. As of today, the Knicks will have two picks, probably somewhere in maybe the 18 through 22 or 23 range. I guess we'll kind of find out within the next couple of days. Ah, man, if I'm the Knicks, I will probably look at taking a point guard that you can develop and then maybe like a stretch four. So I would gamble on Kai Jones. Actually, If you haven't checked it out, go to my YouTube channel. I just posted a video on Kai Jones. It was with my guy, Corey Nepper. We just kind of had a little conversation about our thoughts on Kai Jones, who I think is one of the most intriguing prospects in the draft. I mean, I think he has a really, really high ceiling. And also there are some things that are a little scary and concerning for me. But if I'm the Knicks, I would look at taking him. As far as point guard, I think you can get Sharif Cooper in that range. I think he would provide some excitement, maybe not be the starting point guard early in his career, but I think that he would add a, a little different dynamic to the garden. So I don't know how Knicks fans would feel about this. I mean, I've had, um, I've had a lot of dialogue with Knicks fans about my past selections for them, but I don't know. Tell me how you feel about a Sharif Cooper, Kai Jones draft class for 2021. But again, those are two positions that I would address if I were New York. A stretch four, and I mean, I guess some may think Kai Jones is a five, but yeah, stretch four and a a, a backup point guard. All right, next question is, what position do you think Vrenz, Usman, and Rocco will play? So that's Vrenz Blindberg, Usman Garuba, and Rocco Prakachin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. In the words of Moses Malone, foe, foe. If you don't remember where that came from, it was probably like in the early 80s. I believe a reporter asked uh, Malone 
about the Sixers playoff predictions for that year, and he said four, 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 as in four, 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 and predicting three straight sweeps. I think they may have been like one game off. So to answer that question, I think they're all fours. They're all a different type of fours. I think Garuba may end up playing a lot of five and closing lineups because even though he's like undersized at 680, he has a 7'2 wingspan. I think he has a high, high upside as a defender. I think he's a, a safe pick, to be honest with you. I think Vrenz is going to be like a, a four that can be like your secondary ball handler. I've kind of compared him a little bit to Chandler Parsons, like a, a healthy Chandler Parsons, not, not the guy that the Mavs paid all that money to or not the guy that you know, he got in Memphis. But I think that he could be that type of four where he can run side pick and rolls. I mean, he's a 6'10 playmaking four. Maybe some three. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe in a very creative lineup, he may play some five. But, you know, I see him as a four. Prakachin, the same thing. I think he can do a little bit of everything. But I think, to be honest, a four is really the only position that, that I think he can play in the NBA. Do you think that the top five in this draft is so good that nobody would trade a top five pick? Yeah. While I love the town up top, I do not think that there are some teams who would not want to add another 19-year-old. Washington, Minnesota, Toronto, Sacramento. In my opinion, would they consider shopping their pick for a vet? This is a good question. Uh, on one hand, I totally agree that those teams probably don't need another teenager. But on the other hand, you don't really get better value than a top five pick on a rookie contract. You, you get upside. You get guys that are pretty much playing for pennies and NBA standards. I don't see a team in the top five shading their pick. Let's see if it's the Wizards. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think the Wizards would trade their top five pick. I mean, there are some questions if Bill is going to be there long term. Russ is on the wrong side of 30, even though he's very productive. If I'm Washington and I end up with a top five pick, if Mobley's available, that's a no-brainer there. I would take him. Um, even if it's like Jalen Suggs, you could have him, you know, learn under Russ for a little while until you figure out what you're going to do. If you're going to totally rebuild or try to add some vets. Minnesota's tough because there's a lot of redundancy there. Unless you think Kaminga could be like a four, like the, the four-man of the future, if he could be like this, I don't know, Jalen Brown type player. But Jalen Brown plays a, a lot of, well, I think he's listed at, at shooting guard. Um, Toronto, I think 100% they would keep the pick. I think they're totally going to be in rebuild mode. So I don't see them trading for a veteran. The Kings... Sacramento's on like a treadmill. Like they're literally running in place, going nowhere fast. I wouldn't be shocked to see them trade Buddy Hill or Harrison Barnes to cut some cost and, and then look to add another young guy. So, yeah, if, if those teams that were listed are in the top five, I don't really see them trading their pick. I mean, like, like for what? Is Sacramento going to trade for a guy that's going to come in and help them win right away? I don't know. All right, the next question is, 80 percentile outcomes for Trey Murphy and Sean Hyland. What type of player do you think that is, and what role do you see that type of outcome for them being on a playoff team? As far as Murphy, I think that he, well, one, he has a defined role as a floor spacer. He can play two to 
four, maybe, in some situations. I think I see him as like a Cam Johnson type. As far as the the role on an NBA team, like I said, a floor spacing four, he had a crazy 50-40-90 season this year. And yeah, I just see him as a floor spacer on the NBA team. As far as Nashawn Highland, Bones. Like Bones is like the best NBA draft name in this particular class. He's one of my favorite guys to watch because he has like this, this playground game. He has some Jordan Crawford in him. I'm, I'm a big Jordan Crawford fan. If you ever get a chance to watch him play pickup, he will give your favorite NBA player buckets. Just, you know, it's kind of tough being in the league. I think his game is suited to be like a, a number one option or a superstar. And it's, it's tough for, I think he's just had a tough time fitting around other players. But he was productive when he had a chance to play. So I see a little bit of that in him. Maybe a little bit like a, as far as Highland, maybe a little bit of like Jamal Crawford, even um, Will Barton, even though he's smaller than those guys and doesn't play the same exact position. But I still see like this slim, tough guy with some offensive creativity. The best role for him would be on a playoff team. I see him as a guy that would be like a microwave score on a playoff team. So that would be my, um, I guess, my best outcome for those guys. I'm excited to tell you about a, a new podcast that I think you're really going to enjoy. It's called Death on the Wing. It's a sports documentary podcast that is hosted by Adam McKay. Now, I personally love sports documentary podcasts. I don't know if I should mention some of the ones I've listened to, but I love the one that uh, ESPN did on Giannis and his background. Um, Adam McKay did Vice and Anchorman. And this particular podcast is about 1980s basketball where guys like Magic Johnson and Dr. J became household names. And they brought this faster and flashier style of play to the NBA. And the 80s is where I became such an NBA fan. So that was kind of like the era that basically <laughs> made me an NBA fan. If you look at my background, for those that are on YouTube, you see I have the Street and Smith magazines with Bird and Magic on the cover and one with, with Bob Knight. So that was the era that got me involved. So I guess I'm kind of giving my age here. But McKay was joined by quite a few journalists and they talked about everything that went on in the 80s and just the issues that a lot of the players faced, you know, as far as like tragedy. And then if you remember you know, that famous draft, I want to say was 86. And I mean, there's been documentaries on that. So I'm excited about, about this Death at the Wing podcast. I really enjoyed 30 for 30. And this will be similar, but it will cover a lot of the stories about, you know, basketball players and some of the obstacles that they faced in the 80s. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, the question is, will the Dallas Cowboys start the season 0-2? That is the question of the day. The NFL schedule was released, but you can get more sports news you need in less time with Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back to the mailbag. What are the best landing spots for Evan Mobley and Alperin Shingun? As I mentioned earlier, um, I'd like to see Evan Mobley in Washington. But I think Toronto would be a good fit, and I think Oklahoma City would also be a good fit. I would love to see him with the Wizards, though. Those My, my two favorites would be the Wizards and uh, Toronto. I mean, I think Washington is doing well with um, Daniel Gafford at the five, but I think with Mobley, 
he would give them like a rim protector. He'd give them a vertical lob threat. And I, I'm buying into his upside as a shooter. I think he's a better shooter than the numbers indicated. And I think Mobley in a role in Washington where he's like their third option, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that could be very big for Washington and their, you know, because they're in like this weird stage where they have two guys that are veterans as their two best players. They're not necessarily a young team, but I think Evan Mobley would be a good fit there. And then Toronto, I've been on record of saying I'm a big fan of their developmental program. And I think Toronto would definitely be able to maximize everything that Mobley has. OKC, just because, I mean, it would, it would be fun to watch a, a Mobley and Pokashevsky front court. So I like them there. As far as Shingun, Oklahoma City is my favorite spot. They have so many picks in the future that they can swing for the fences. Again, I think uh, Shingun, Pokashevsky front court would be pretty interesting. And I guess that would make like the Thunder as like an international team in a sense. You figure Maladon, Dort, Pokashevsky, Shingun, Alexander, like none of those guys are American. So that would be pretty interesting to have uh, those guys all on the same team in the middle of the Bible Belt in America. So that would be pretty funny. All right, the next question is Kuminga versus Garuba. Are you with Kuminga first? And is it by far or close? I think Kuminga has the higher upside and I think Garuba has the higher floor. Um, I, I definitely see Kuminga being selected higher. I think he's a top five pick. At worst, he may be like number six. He's really young, but it's interesting because even though they're similar in age, there's like a huge gap as far as experience. I mean, Garuba has played plenty of games on the, the junior levels. He's won championships. I want to say he won the under-18 championship. Now he's playing for Real Madrid. He's a contributor in the EuroLeague, while Kaminga just has like a small body of work as far as like outside of high school. I mean, he played, what, a month in the bubble and then... I feel like a lot of scouts didn't really get a chance to see him because he didn't get a chance to play on like a lot of the a lot of the events that NBA scouts were allowed to go to. So I feel like their first time really evaluating him was in the G League bubble, which I mean, there's really not a better platform to evaluate a, a young lottery pick than the G League bubble. But I feel like they have more body of work for Garuba. So their experiences are totally different. But I think Kaminga's going to go higher. And I think he has more upside to be like a superstar or an all-star. Well, I think Garuba is going to have like a really, really long career as a, you know, maybe borderline all-star, but a high impact player that, that just contributes to winning. So I, I, as of right now, I would say Kaminga is the higher, the higher um, player. And it's not by much. All right. Also, do you think Jay Huff should be a second round pick? And if so, how high? I think so. If Luke Cornett is in the NBA, then I think Jay Huff can play in the NBA. I think Huff is probably a better shooter than Cornett. Huff is, is interesting because even though he's, you know, a seven footer and he's a shooter, he has some mobility. Like I saw a like, I've seen a couple of plays where he put the ball on the floor. He's, he's pretty mobile. So I think he could possibly help a team as maybe like their, their third center. But as long as you can shoot the ball in today's NBA, I think you'll have some value. So, you know, a lot of times it just depends on who you can defend. I think he's a good rim protector. 
and he may have the mobility to be a drop coverage big, but I think he gets drafted. If not, he'll be one of these guys that signs immediately right after the draft is over and gets a two-way contract. But like I say, if Luke Cornett's in the NBA, then I, I think uh, Huff has a chance. If Taco Falls in the NBA, I actually think that Huff is more skilled than Taco Falls, so I think he gets selected. And also, dude is like an analytic star. He was ranked in like the top 98 percentile in all of college basketball, shot 58% from the floor, 38% from three. Those numbers should get him drafted. All right, what do you think about James Booknight in Detroit? <laughs> that's, that's a funny question. I'll put it like this. If Detroit is in position to select James Booknight, or is he the best player available, or if he's in their draft range, that means they fell significantly in the lottery. I think Detroit should have a top five pick. I don't think Book Knight is going to be in their range as a top five pick. So unless Detroit trades with somebody and they end up with two first round picks or two lottery picks, then maybe Book Knight. But yeah, I can't see a situation where Detroit, based off their record and where they're projected to go in a lottery, are looking to select James Book Knight. But I think he would be a good fit, though. I just, I just don't see a scenario where he would be an option for them unless they they fall all right <laughs> who is the biggest sleeper prospect in the 2021 nba draft here's one for you mason gardner now i saw that he declared for the nba draft after one season of jv naia basketball i'm rooting for him simply because all right, one, I don't have any game film. So I'm hoping I get some game film. Mason, if you're listening, send me some game film. I'll send you a, a full scouting report. <laughs> but I have this theory. I have this saying. And if someone steals it, I guess I need to, like, copyright it. When it works out, it's considered faith. When it fails, it's stupidity. <laughs> so anyway, I just like the fact that this guy is believing in himself. And, um, yeah, I want some game feel. But as far as, like, underrated prospect, sleeper, I've been on record, and I've said it multiple times. I think Vrenz Blindberg is the biggest sleeper. But now I don't even know if I can call him a sleeper now because his name is starting to buzz, and I'm starting to see his name pick up some traction on different NBA draft boards. And NBA draft, Twitter likes him. But, I mean, that would be my guy that I would say is, is the biggest sleeper. But, I mean, people are awake now. All right, when I return, I have a few more questions that so far nobody's asked me anything too crazy, but I have a few more questions that I want to answer. But right now, before I get into that, BetOnline AG is the fastest and easiest way to bet on your sports action. Baseball's in full swing, and you can track the action all at BetOnline. You can get all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting events, including baseball, NBA, NHL, even UFC and MMA. So before the next pitch or tip-off or bell, you can head to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their run for the playoffs, or even like, you know, in baseball, they're just getting started. Head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. 
BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The promo code is locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. If you've been listening to Locked On NBA Draft or even the Locked On Network, which I hope you have, but if you're not and you're a first-time listener, we've been telling the audience about Built Bar. It is the best-tasting protein bar on the market. We've been saying it for a while. It's an amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar that is 100% chocolate on every single bar. And imagine like a, like I said, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but the flavors that they have, it's like a ridiculous amount. You got coconut almond, you got mint brownie, salted caramel, raspberry, peanut butter brownie, coconut, double chocolate, cookies and cream, cherry barcia. Maybe I'm just a little, I don't know, naive, but I never even heard of cherry barcia. I didn't even know what barcia is. But I can tell you one thing, the Cherry Barcia is one of my favorite flavors. Like I said, there's a lot of different flavors. And again, this is a protein bar that tastes exactly like a candy bar. Now, if you wanna try it out, you go to builtbar.com or you can go to at B-A-R underscore built on Twitter. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. That is LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Again, check it out, BuiltBar.com, and I can't say it enough, this is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Now you can get more analysis like this on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft. We have Locked On NBA Draft Podcast, we have scouting reports, we have draft rumors, mock drafts, full coverage, from March Madness on, and it's four days a week from credential draft experts like myself. And you can follow Locked On NBA Draft Podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's the last round of questions. Let's see what they have for me here. Can you pronounce? The answer is no. (laughs) The answer is no. Um, can you pronounce Mama Kulevshvili? No, I, I can't. Even when I like listen to to his games and I watch his film, I feel like the announcers are struggling to announce it. But I just call him Sandro M. I really like his game. I think he's he's like an interesting prospect because he's a very skilled guy. He's slow, doesn't have like ideal athleticism, but he's he's a good passer. He can post up, he can shoot, he can play the mid-range, he can score off action plays, he can be like your point forward. He just lacks like the ideal athleticism, vertical pop and, and foot speed that, that you need. And even though I said he can play in the post, he's not necessarily a post player. He likes to pass out of the post, but he's a very unique prospect in a sense because of everything that he brings to the table but I, I i like him a lot i don't know where he gets drafted or if he gets drafted but i think he's he's a guy that i could see playing in the g league next year all right the next question is Cade cunningham a generational talent how do you define generational talent i believe Cade is going to be a perennial all-star i think he's going to be the best player on a team And I think he's a franchise player. But like I said, it all depends on how you define a generational talent. 
because just a few years ago, some considered Ben Simmons a generational talent. And I, I'm curious to see if at this date right now in 2021, is Ben Simmons considered a generational talent? I mean, I remember seeing the comparisons to Magic Johnson. I think Ben is very good. He's going to be an all-star for probably the next eight to 10 seasons at the very minimum. I think that he's going to always be on good teams. But again, would you consider him a generational talent? So I guess it's just kind of like a matter of how you define generational talent. Hopefully I answered that question. The next question is thoughts on Delano Banton. All right, you see my hat. I'm born and raised in Nebraska. Got my gold big red hat on. Oh, I guess on the podcast you can't see it, but I have on a, a Nebraska hat. I'm probably a little bit biased, but I like his combination of size. I like his passing ability, um, court vision, all of that. I guess passing ability and court vision is the same thing. But I like his combination of size, ball handling, and passing. He definitely has a skill set that I think should draw interest or that should interest NBA teams. He needs to bulk up and improve his shooting, but I I like him. I think he's a, a definite NBA prospect. Next question. I guess I keep saying all right. Is Drew Timmy an NBA player? Now, this is kind of a tough question. I actually saw Drew work out a couple days ago. And the interesting thing with Drew is I might post a video. I got to make sure I can get permission to post it. But Drew was working out with with Kofi Cockburn. And then there was another, another young kid that was at the workout. Now, if I didn't know anything about basketball, right? or I didn't know the names, and I just went and watched this workout, I would probably say Drew was the least impressive of the three. And I had a chance to watch Drew play pickup last summer, and, you know, he was playing pickup in the gym in Fort Worth, and he was not, you know, the most impressive player there. But something about when the lights turn on and when there's people in the crowd... Drew is a gamer. I would much, much rather have a gamer than a guy that is nice in warm-ups. Like, if you watch him during, you know, a, a, a workout, I mean, he's not going to wow you with, like, great athleticism. He's not going to wow you with, like, being a lights-out shooter. But dude is super skilled. He was arguably one of the best players. I'm sorry, arguably the best player on Gonzaga's team. You can make a case and say he was one of the best players in college basketball last year. He, he gave Evan Mobley some fits there. I like Drew a lot. I think for him to be, an, well, one, I think he is going to be an NBA player at some point. But I think the, the step for him to maximize his ability is to become a better floor spacer, which he's been working on. He, he shot the ball pretty well at this workout. He's not necessarily like a knockdown consistent shooter. But again, like I said, if the lights are on and there's people in the crowd, Drew Timmy is, is I mean, he, he's a bucket. He's been that way since he was in high school. So again, hopefully that, that answers your question. All right, thoughts on Ron Harper Jr. If you look at him, he physically doesn't pass the eye test. He has a unique frame. I put it like this. Remember Jay-Z had this, this uh, line and I wanna say it was takeover. He had a spark when he started. I'm not going to finish the rest of the line, but I believe that Harper had like 25 points or more, maybe like four of his first six or seven games. And then he only had one game after that with over 21 points. I don't know if teams figured him out. I mean, there's some 
you know, obviously there's some reasons behind that. I think that in order for him to be a, a I mean, I think he's an NBA prospect as is, but I, I think that he may need to come back to school, slim down, because honestly, he just doesn't necessarily pass the eye test. And as far as like the eye test again, if you look at his shot, I think it's one of the prettiest shots in college basketball. It just doesn't go in at the efficiency of the beauty. But yeah, I think he shot like 31% from three. So that's my thoughts on him as an NBA prospect. All right, worst predictions. Oh, man. All right, let's go with Kawhi Leonard. I thought Kawhi Leonard was going to be at best like this undersized energy guy coming out of San Diego State. He was a power forward, like a 6'7 power forward who was a really good rebounder. I thought he showed a little bit of flashes of skill, but definitely did not see him being where he is today as a top 10 player in the NBA. And obviously 14 teams passed on him. And I don't even know if the Spurs thought he was going to be as good as he is. So that was probably one of the worst predictions because I thought the Spurs made a mistake at drafting him or Indiana drafted him and then San Antonio traded, I believe it was George Hill for him. But I thought it was a mistake. I didn't think it made a lot of sense for him and Tim Duncan to play together at the time. And boy, was I wrong about that. Another one is Alex Lynn. Now, this is kind of really embarrassing to say. I thought Lynn was going to be nice. I really thought Alex Lynn was going to be a stud in the NBA. Obviously, I want to say Phoenix did too. They drafted him pretty high. I think he's talented. He just hasn't been able to like really put it together. But I saw him as the skilled, tough Big, that was a good shot blocker. I thought he was going to be able to stretch the floor. At Maryland, he showed some ability to knock down mid-range shots. And boy, was I wrong on that one because, again, I thought Alex Lynn was going to be nice. All right. This is kind of funny. Rank the Jalens. You know, it depends on what day of the week, but I'm going to go Suggs, Green, Johnson. Okay, I knew I couldn't get too far without someone asking me a crazy question. This question is, it was in my DMs, best white player in the draft. <laughs> Austin Reeves from Oklahoma? I like Austin, man. He has some soul to his game. He's fun to watch. But, I mean, do you consider Turkish players white? If you don't, then I'd have to say Franz Wagner. I, I don't know. That's kind of a weird question. All right, where does Luca Garza get drafted? Second round at best, and it just kind of sucks for him because he was born in the wrong era. If this were 2000, he's probably a top 10 pick. But when I say it sucks for him, not only does it suck that he was born in the wrong era, but he came back to school. Like, he had a dominant junior year. I feel like he won, like, so many awards. I think he won like player of the year. He was big 10 player of the year. He's first team all America. He had just like this crazy accolade filled junior year. He comes back pretty much post the same number. He improved as a three point shooter and it did, in my opinion, absolutely nothing for his draft stock. So I really hope he enjoyed the college experience you know what? He could be like this rare prospect that goes from college straight to the EuroLeague. I, I wouldn't, you know, be too surprised to see that happen. 
but I don't know if he'll if he'll get drafted. But if he does, like I say, to be in second round, unless something like out of the ordinary happens, like I didn't see Azabuki from Kansas last year as a first round pick, and he ended up being selected in the first round. I haven't seen him play an NBA minute. I'm sure he has. I missed it, but yeah, I mean, stranger things have happened. All right, this is my last question. If I didn't get to your question, I'll try to get to it next time. I think I'm going to do this a little bit more. Actually, I'm having fun doing it. And this question is, oh, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect the way to end this episode. Who should the Blazers pick? All right. I, I'm a Blazers fan, if you didn't know. I feel like taking... Let me let me make sure I'm correct on this. I, I, I think... I am correct. Yes. Yes. This is correct. All right. I feel like the Blazers franchise would be in a much different situation. I mean, you've seen all the rumors about Terry Stotts on his way out. The Blazers defense is not very good. I feel like taking Zach Collins over Bam Adebayo was a franchise-altering decision. Now, a lot of people didn't see Bam being the player that he is today. And Zach Collins has been injured. He's still young. Hopefully, he can get healthy, and maybe he can be the player that the Blazers selected. But I feel like if the Blazers would have taken Bam over Zach, it would have addressed a lot of the needs that Portland has. Bam is an additional playmaker. He would give the Blazers, who are always ranked near the bottom of the league in assists, he would give the Blazers another passer and as a playmaker. And then he would address the needs on defense. He would be able to switch out on the perimeter and you know defend guards while also being able to be a pretty solid rim protector. He would literally give the Blazers everything that they need to, in my opinion, make them a legitimate championship contender. So with all that being said, I'm hoping... Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky is available, and he has this BAM-type impact, and maybe he has something to his game that we weren't able to see at Kentucky. So that would be my answer right there. Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky, tremendous shot blocker, athletic, bouncy. Again, I'm hoping he's like one of these guys from Kentucky that you know, he has the skill set that we didn't get a chance to see while he was in Lexington. So... You know, depending on where the Blazers pick and if he's available, Isaiah Jackson will be my, my choice right there. And Portland, I, I wanted you to draft Sadiq Bay last year. He's looking good in Detroit, but it was part of the Robert Covington trade, who's been, you know, a good defender, which is expected, like this rare shot blocking or rim protecting wing. So I guess I can't be too, too mad at that. But Isaiah Jackson, if he's available, if he's available, please select Isaiah Jackson. Well, that wraps up this edition of Locked On NBA Draft. I had fun doing this mailbox thing. I probably do it maybe like once a month, maybe more. It was fun answering the questions. Nothing too crazy or too ridiculous. Once again, this is Raphael, Locked On NBA Draft, NBA Draft Junkies, and I'm out.